0: You're listening to Revenue Vitals with Chris Walker.
1: David, what's up, man? It's been a couple weeks. Good to have you back. The OG is back in the building. Good to have you here. Hey, Eddie. Hey, Andy. Say hi to some people. Donna, good to have you back. Dan, what's up? We're going to give everyone just one minute to file in and then we'll get started. There's some questions queued up. Um, over the past couple of weeks, we've had like smaller attendance, which I actually think is a good thing here. So would encourage uh, all of you that are here, if you have a topic you want to talk about, this is effectively like free hour of my consulting. So if you are working on something inside of your business that I can help with, like, please feel free to come on and uh, we can talk through it. It'll be able to help you. It'll be able to help a lot of other people on the call. Because if you're wondering it, other people are probably wondering about it as well. So feel free. I think Kaylee can give instructions on how you queue up. Just drop your question in the chat, and we can like queue up for either just to read off your question or to have you come on live. Um, and for those of you that didn't see, I actually I did a... Uh, a feature with Kyle Poyer from OpenView. We did one on enterprise uh, demand generation, product-led growth, product-led sales companies. Um, We have quite a few of those in the portfolio of companies we work with at Refine Labs and are learning a lot about that motion. And interestingly, a lot of companies that are doing that are highly successful with us because they have a very defined set of accounts they're going after outside of this like high volume PLG motion. So I think that's super interesting. If you, uh, Maybe Kaylee can link to the article. I tried to pull it up. It looks like you need a subscription, but maybe it's, fr- I think it's free. Brittany, what's up? Good to have you back here. And uh, with all that said, I think we'll jump right into questions and discussions. So Kaylee, maybe you get it started with a couple that people submitted in advance and then we can bring some people on live.
2: Beautiful. Yeah, let's do it. Give me a sec. I'll kick it off and then I'll drop in that um, article with Kyle as well too, because it's definitely worth a read. Um, let's kick it off with this. Um, this is a question with some additional context provided. So bear with me. Uh, the question itself is with all of the metadata that Refine Labs has collected on the companies that you work with, what's your take on cold calling? And then they provide some context. So let's get through it. It says, uh, My details were put out on a press release by an intern at the agency that we're using. Unfortunately, they used my personal phone number. Since then, I've been getting bombed with all of the cold calls. And my details were, of course, indexed by all the Zoom Zoom infos of the world. Supposedly, this company has a huge outbound motion, and it's working really well for them, particularly through cold calling. It has now maybe piqued my interest, and I'm considering whether we should do this for our company or not. What's your take?
1: I think step one is to define what cold means in cold calling. Is it you're just pulling some random person out of a database? Is it that you're segmenting and prioritizing your accounts and then focusing outbound efforts on a specific segment or target? Is it that you're using an MQL score to do cold calling? The, to me, it's, or ABM intent data type of stuff. To me, it's really the trigger that drives outbound is the core difference here. What it, how are you figuring out who to call um, is, I think, one of the strongest things. You'll, you'll see some stuff. There's technology out there. I visit some company's website. Somehow they're able to identify me. And then what do you know? A day or two later, I'm getting an email from their salesperson. They're starting a cadence with me because they're able to see that I've been on the website, the potential, uh, success of that is going to be much higher that I was just on their website two days ago than if they just randomly picked me out and I've never heard of their company before. So I think cold is one of the defining cold is one of the key things inside of quote unquote cold calling. There's a huge level of attribution bias. It's basically a demand capture function. Um, And so you might have had your podcast working, people have used your product at other companies, people are talking about it in dark social, but then and all that stuff is happening with buyers and then you quote unquote cold call them or have a cold sequence and are able to capture that and convert it into a meeting and attribute that 100% to cold calling. So there's an attribution bias that happens with cold calling as well and the the third point is to define what's working well mean right from the from your perspective here you're getting cold calls you hear that people have a cold calling engine that's working well but you're not inside of their business you don't you don't have the data you don't know really what what working well means and whether that would apply to your company and so to me, working well means that we're generating revenue at a high sales productivity and at a very acceptable co- uh, cost of acquisition. Um, and I think this is highly dependent on where your where your company sits amongst your category and your maturity stage. Sure, Salesforce and Zoom Info outbound probably works pretty good because there's a fuckload of people that want to buy Zoom Info and Salesforce, and they're going to buy it anyway. And you're able to capture that demand using outbound. If you're a no-name, you know, snails force, a no-name company here that no <laughs> snails force that nobody's heard of, nobody knows what your product is and nobody's looking for it. Then the odds that your outbound works well are significantly lower. So I think there's a lot of different there. It's easy to look at what a company is doing or hear about what another company is doing and say, oh, that must be working well. We should do it. But I think there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of different things that go on inside of companies. The second piece of it, like we see a ton of data from companies about their performance, where the revenue, where the demand is being captured, where revenue is coming from, etc. cetera. Um, but each company defines all these things outside of like closed one deals. Each company defines everything differently, deal stages, um, lead sources, different things like that. Um, our objective long-term is to be able to standardize CRM data and actually look at this and create scientific findings from it. So that's something that we're working on more in the long-term because at the moment, like if you don't have standardized data, you're not comparing apples to apples. It can lead you to a lot of like misleading conclusions potentially. But when you look at companies from, if you look at how they do attribution today, typically you're going to see something like, 20 to 90 percent of revenue coming from their quote-unquote sales or outbound sales engine which could be AE sourced or sdr sourced some of that's going to be coming from sdrs obviously if they use them but the question is if they have 15 sdrs and it's producing a million arr is that good or not and each company is going to have different goals different financials different growth stages that would make that either a good or a bad investment
2: yeah, I think plus one to all that. My only other thing, too, is I've worked for companies where it works and I've worked for companies where it definitely doesn't. And for me, the biggest variable is understanding how your buyers spend their time during the day when they're potentially in buying mode or thinking about work outside of if they know your brand, if they've you know touched your website, seen an ad, whatever that might be. Um, some people truly run their business from their phone. So picking up the phone and cold calling them is a higher chance of making that connection than shooting them a DM, like on LinkedIn. Some of these people just don't, you know, aren't on LinkedIn, don't spend their days there, et cetera. So, you know, maybe it works for this company because that's how most of their buyers prefer to buy. Uh, we've got a couple of great questions in the queue. Give me one second. Let me, um, start getting them unmuted so you can chat with them directly. Sarah, I'm going to ask you to unmute and join us
3: live. Hey. Yeah, I just, sorry. I didn't know when I was going to get called on, so I was moving. <laughs> uh, hey, Chris. How's it going?
1: Hey, Sarah. Great to have you here.
3: Good to be here. Um, so I put a little bit of this in the chat, but I'm on a small SaaS marketing team. We've got three people. Uh, I have pretty decent buy-in from execs and from the other marketers on our team to make more of a switch to an inbound focus, a demand creation focus. Um, we've been very heavily demand capture focused and had um, quite a heavy like SDR outbound motion. We actually don't have an SDR team anymore. Um, so we're not relying on outbound nearly as much. Um, and I wanna put together like a content and event plan to really start creating demand. Cause most of our demand right now is coming from a little bit of trade shows, People who have heard about us through their networks, people who used us in the past, and then a lot of people in the self-reported attribution will just put like Google or Internet because um, we we do have a pretty heavy SEO focus as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you been thinking so far?
3: So we had a um, like a full-time SME um, who was unfortunately laid off during during like the, the round of layoffs, um, and I'm trying to think of. How we could utilize so? Not, none of the marketers on our team are really SMEs, and we sure. I think we do need a pretty dedicated subject matter expert because um, we are selling to engineers. Um, I'm wondering if we should look for like an advisory board of them to help with some sort of regular content. So I'm I'm thinking like, should we just go all in on creating a great YouTube video every week? Or should we do a live event like this? Or should we start a podcast? Um, Cause I, I know from being here that, you know, we should start with one and do it really well and then try to scale later. But without, without a full-time person, I guess I'm evaluating like, should we try and get a full-time person to do content and then we can help distribute it? Should we get an advisory board or hire a contractor or something?
1: So if I were you, here's where I would start. I would, you know, who you're going after. I would create product marketing level content, value proposition, social proof, customer stories, testimonials, things that sit like lower in the quote unquote funnel, and I would use paid distribution to go out and get to engineers that have either been on your website or not been on your website. You can have a retargeting flow and a cold flow. And I would actually use that first. The reason that we use that first is because it's going to take you a while to get this organic content engine working and you need to be able to be producing results and showing forward progress while you do that. I used to call this clearing the space. Like, so building this, like it's like a paid targeted demand engine as a way to get things moving while you build this organic engine, I think is the right strategy. So. Let's assume that you get the paid engine in place. Hopefully that's going to create some level of uh increased engagement with target accounts, increased inbound flow, better market awareness. Maybe your outbound if you're running that starts to work better, maybe your events and SEO start to work better by having some demand creation motion, um, just using product marketing content and paid versus like more awareness or thought leadership and organic. Then you think about your next question, which is like, how do I start to get this organic engine in place? I don't think that you need a full-time SME to do this, especially with your team size. So I would look, I would plan on trying to do this first without uh, a full-time SME, at least on the marketing team, right? They might be in your company, but they might be doing a different job and it's sort of like their side hustle, not their full-time job. Advisory board is interesting, but creates some level of complications advisory board typically implies some level of a equity or, or phantom stock grant and things like that. So, um, advisory board could work, but it probably wouldn't be what I did. And I think a good place to potentially start for without having either of those things in place is to start a podcast and interview current customers or prospective customers. And use it as a form of market research, use it as a form of being able to create content, use it as a form of customer retention and engagement to prop up success of existing customers. Um, and to get, to use that as the way to get into the flow right now, we know how to create an event. Now we can do the event, we can promote it. People will show up. We can turn that into a podcast. We can create it into content, just keep it lightweight at the beginning and then as you get the engine going then you can say wow like these topics are really working this channel is really working let's think about is there a person that we could go and get or a capability that we need to go and make this work better and i would build from there but keeping the especially at three people like i've done this with a three-person marketing team and we always leverage external smes and my job, like I was the interviewer at had time. It doesn't necessarily need to be you, but my job as the interviewer was that I understood our target customer. And then I guided the conversation with the SME to what our target customers wanted to hear. And also how I wanted to insert positioning and messaging about our stuff so that they heard that too, from someone external to our company, which sometimes can create more trust and credibility than if they're internal. So I think that you can spin this as a way to to work within the constraints that you have and create a strong strategy.
3: Great. Okay. Follow up question.
1: Yeah. Keep going.
3: Uh, the product marketing content. So we, we have a great demand gen paid media agency. We're doing a little bit of that already. What product marketing content, like, are there certain categories of that that you like, is it mostly customer case studies, video testimonials of customers? Like, what are you thinking with that?
1: So um I'll give you a couple like top level categories and then some actionable stuff. So yeah, customer stories, testimonials, screenshots of a G2 review are like social proof is one big category here. Um another category is looking at what are all of our top in- interior pages that people are looking at before they're converting and then how do I take the messaging out of those pages, repackage it and then put it into paid so how do I take the, it's typically like messaging and positioning. How do I take that content off of the website, repackage it and then put it in a LinkedIn ad or whatever channel you decide, which is a lot more like like value proposition communication and getting someone who's not going to go to your website and see that stuff without being prompted and just going out, targeting them, paying on LinkedIn, probably like four cents to give them this information and then get some of them to engage on the website and then go from there. So it's really okay. like when I say product marketing, like think about all the stuff that a product marketing team would be responsible for, like, and then think about the things that are appropriate for this, like a two minute recorded demo could work, right? You edit it, you have a two minute video demo that could work. Definitely social proof messaging. Um, maybe you have some key, like a lot of companies have this like data flywheel type of thing. Maybe there's a, like, if you have that or you have a, some key quote unquote secret sauce. There's a way to communicate that visually to people in these channels as well. And I would just start, I would start there and then start to look at another like uh, an alternative that's all good information. An alternative is to go and listen to demo like first call or second call demos from customers that closed and say what are the key things that our sales team communicates during those meetings. And then you think about what are the key messages there, break it into five top messages and then try and communicate those messages through videos, pictures, things like that.
3: All right. Okay. And the, this first part, the paid targeted demand engine, you said that I, I really like how like, that's kind of like the short term, like, Hey, we have pipeline goals to hit like the next couple of quarters. And then we want to do this podcast. What, I mean, what timeline should I be looking at for that first part? Like, you know, can we prove ROI within six months? You know, can we prove ROI within six months?
1: Uh, it depends how you think about like overall ROI, right? But when we run this with customers and I like, it's not been too long since I would literally be in there. I'd be working with the customer inside of their CRM, running the ads. I did all the stuff, right? Right. And like when done appropriately, right. Targeting the company already has like pr- you know, the messaging works, right? So I did this a lot with companies that were like a hundred million ARR. They had a lot more clarity and proven market traction than perhaps your company. So like messaging at early stage companies becomes a variable of whether or not this is go- probably the main variable of whether or not this is going to work. But in like more developed organizations, you would, you could see this in the first month with the appropriate targeting message and spend so but i think within six months you should absolutely be seeing something or you should be thinking to yourself around three four months like is this am i not measuring this appropriately or is this is this not working i think like 90 120 days would be the amount of time that i would give this for signals signals being it's being mentioned on first calls people are saying it in self-reported attribution We're seeing like we have some like technology that's doing account de-anonymization and we see all of these accounts coming from LinkedIn ads that are eventually converting into pipeline, whether it comes to the website or somewhere else. There's a lot of different ways to like try and triangulate demand creation, but it's not a perfect science yet.
3: Yeah. And I'm in the vault. So shout out to the vault. I can definitely
1: (laughs) Uh, take a look at that for that as
3: well. Okay. Last question, if you have time. We absolutely help everyone. Yeah. On targeting, how should I best get aligned with sales on what accounts we're actually targeting? Because I feel like I have a little bit of lack of clarity there.
1: Describe like describe lack of clarity. Like how do you target right now and what do you think the gap is?
3: I ask for a list of target accounts every quarter. And then we don't really talk about it again until I ask again.
1: Okay. Does your company have like a documented like ICE? ideal customer profile that might not include like named accounts.
3: We have an ICP profile. It does not include named accounts and some accounts that have been defined as targeted are technically outside of the um, employee count that mm-hmm. is defined in our ICP. So they're not perfectly overlap.
1: Okay. So, um, in this case, I would choose a proactive strategy or a blend of proactive and reactive where right now it's sort of been like, Hey sales, can you give me this? What I would do is I would go into the CRM over the past three to six quarters, depending on how much data you have. I would look at what accounts have become closed one, and try and see what the similarities are between them. Firmographically, company size, industry, type of product they sell, business model, things like that. Firmographic data that you can kind of get in the uh, publicly and go back with a list and say, hey, sales, based on who we've been closing, this is who I would suggest that we, this is the type of company I suggest that we target. I'm sure that you have target accounts too. So if you have com- companies that we wanna target, please give those here. And then we're gonna actually have three total targeting strategies. We're going to come up with a like firmographic ICP that I'm going to get started and we can refine from there. We're going to have a retargeting list of people that hit our website and we're going to have a named account list that's been driven by sales. There might be some overlap there, but it kind of gives you a simple framework about how to operate because when you get a target account list for sales, most likely it's going to be small. And most likely it's going to be the accounts they're trying to win that quarter or that year, depending on how long the sales cycle is. And typically they're going to be the biggest accounts that are the hardest to close. (laughs) So, um, like I've had this with companies, they have a, they have a SMB is all self-serve and then they have a mid-market enterprise and strategic. And you ask, Hey, can we get our target accounts? And they just give you the hundred strategic accounts and then you say, But we're going to target these 5,000 mid-market accounts too, right? Because those deals are going to close in 60 days and we're going to get 35K ACV from it. And these are velocity deals that we need to continue to grow. So, um, and then those are the ones that you actually get a lot of demand creation volume out of just because there's more scale to it. And it leads me to a point I was actually going to open with this. It's interesting that we got here. Is that like based on the tier of accounts, right? Let's just pretend strategic, enterprise, mid-market, SMB, your company's going to call them somewhere else, someone else. You may have four, you may have more um, or less. But the key is that we need a separate sort of like go-to-market motion or strategy for each of these segments. In the strategic, it's going to be a lot of one-to-one. There's going to be a quote-unquote marketing air cover. Marketing is going to be a lot more involved in like sales type activities, like getting a customer into a dinner or an event or something like that. It's a lot more narrow. You're going to use a lot more one-to-one. And then when you get into like mid-market, you're selling a 35k ACV deal. It makes no sense to have like a pod of people that are trying to get into a 35k ACV account with not a lot of like upside or expansion. So in that case, it's got to be a lot more digital demand and a much more velocity sales process talking to buyers that want to buy smb the like a lot of companies choose to to target those self-serve or maybe they have an smb team but like having a sales team trying to sell a 4k acv product with a long expansion ramp like also may not make sense for a lot of companies so the, the take home here is like you have to figure out who are the segments what's the size of the segment how like how much on average is a customer worth in this segment and based on that type of data how should we approach or go to market for, for this segment, which is going to be different. Sometimes you see companies just sort of like spread peanut butter all across, like just companies that are above a hundred employees all the way up. And we'll have the same go to market motion for all of them. And if it's an inbound driven motion across that, what you're going to see is that the smaller companies are going to come inbound at higher volume and the larger companies, most of them aren't, and you're going to need some outbound motion to go get them, it was engage and get meetings. So, um, having a different go to market strategy for each segment i'm not sure this is applicable to you i'm just sharing it with everyone but having something like that seems to be the right approach
3: yeah absolutely all right thanks so much chris cool. i've got i've got enough to put make like, beginnings of a plan together Amazing. so appreciate it
1: yeah come back next week we'll talk about it more
3: okay beautiful thanks for joining us sarah great riff um
2: let's get eddie up next he's got some tech stack questions
0: y'all hey um- Hey, Lee, Chris, thank you so much. Happy to be here and learn so much. Uh, peanut butter spread all over. That's going to be a takeaway for here today. Um,
1: What's I'm up,
0: Eddie? Um, <laughs> the, I'm uh, the HubSpot and, uh, and uh, Salesforce conversation. It seems like you kind of use them in your mix, and I think it's probably client-based. And so if I was new to choose a CRM, what would you consider the advantages or disadvantages one over the other in relation to command jam?
1: I mean, I when you're, you're choosing a CRM, it's like a lot more of a holistic decision about like the growth and scale of the business, how technically complex, are we going to be having product led data? Do we have an e-commerce flow? There's like a, there's a lot that goes into making this decision outside of just demand gen. Um, I think that, um, both are great products that are good for certain different use cases. Um, it also depends like for us, um, most, I would, Almost all of our customers use either Salesforce or HubSpot. So we've kind of standardized across those two, and then inside of that segment, probably seventy-five percent use Salesforce. So we lean further on Salesforce. Not to not to say it's right for you, but for our business, it it is. HubSpot is theoretically easier to manage, easier to use. You don't necessarily need an admin. Individual contributors can make key changes, workflows, things like that. That HubSpot also has a CRM product and a marketing automation products, Salesforce tries to do it with Pardot, but I don't really see it. And uh, the companies that struggle the most with marketing data are typically companies that use Pardot. For, I think for quote unquote, smaller or less complex businesses, HubSpot is more than enough. Like our business is not that complex. We effectively operate on of HubSpot. We use Salesforce as a dev development environment for customers. So it's more like product development than operations. Um, so, yeah it, de- it just depends how what level of complexity the business is in and whether you want to invest in supporting it because salesforce will be more expensive overall more expensive to support you get greater levels of customization a lot of sales people prefer it um because they're used to it um but uh this is really looking at like I- When you're buying tech like this, where you're probably going to have it in for a long time, it's like build a list of requirements or what are the most important things? What is the vision for this business? How could those requirements change over two to three years and then start to make an assessment? And I'll also, uh, bring Kaylee in on this one because it's, it feels like a really, it depends, but maybe she has some more insight because she's been through it quite a few times.
2: Yeah, I think I've worked in organizations that use HubSpot. I've worked in organizations that use Salesforce. I've been through a myriad of MAP platforms as well throughout my career. And I think to Chris's point, it really depends on the variables that are happening inside of your business today. I think the way you pose the question, you're asking specifically about benefits or limitations that could come in regards to a demand gen seat. So maybe that's the role that you hold. Um, For me, I think it's pretty apples to apples. Like you can get relatively the same amount of information out of either. If uh, if it's me and I'm joining a startup and I'm a one person show who's wearing a demand gen hat and therefore probably the early stages of a marketing operations hat, and I'm gonna be the like pseudo admin I would go HubSpot for all the reasons that Chris mentioned. Um, If you're going to go with Salesforce and maybe you're going to go with a more complex marketing automation platform as well, like a Pardot or a Marketo, you're going to need a dedicated seat, not only for at least one dedicated seat, not only for the Salesforce admin, but also for whoever is running Marketo or Pardot. So I think it depends on the complexity and what your business actually needs, what you need to be able to support uh, for whatever it's worth. Like um, I've worked at a business that's, you know, I don't know, uh, over a billion in, uh, valuation. And they were still using HubSpot for marketing automation and for CRM. And it was absolutely fine because the complexity of their business, although the volume was high, the complexity to run it wasn't there yet. So they didn't have the business case to need to like, quote unquote, graduate. Um, and we were running absolutely fine inside of HubSpot for both. So like every good answer, it depends, but hopefully that provides some like guardrails as you're thinking about, um, what your business needs today and three years from now.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I was looking for. We're early stage startups, so that helps me a lot. So thank you very
2: much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for coming on live with us. David's back, and David's back with questions, so let me unmute him real quick.
0: Hey, everyone, how are you? Hi, Chris.
1: Great to have you here, David.
0: Good to be back. I had a good time in Europe for a couple of weeks with my dad, but it's great to be back. Um, my question is around chat GPT and generative AI. Have you guys, been working with chat gtp4 with any of your clients or internally for yourselves i guess that's kind of a a quick answer and then the more general question is would you like to just talk about what you think generative ai and demand gen and and how it might change things how it is changing things maybe um, some thoughts on, on on where it might go um i don't think there's any definitive answers but i'm just curious to kind of get a sense of how this has been going through your thinking.
1: Yeah, before I go into what we've been doing, I'd love to hear, have you been trying out anything or have you seen some of your clients do anything interesting?
0: I'm using it myself and it's turning out to be a a super assistant to um, get up to speed quickly on uh, different personas, where they may go for information. As with just general queries, knowing how to formulate your, your question matters. Um, and then what I found is I have to verify everything because the uh, hallucinations are so subtle you wouldn't know. And so it is quicker to have someone give you a, a list, if you will, but then you do have to go back and check all of the elements. And 99% of the time they're okay, but it's the times that they're wrong but you just really don't want to be kind of like embarrassed and put in front of somebody. So it's, it's a bit mind where you, how you go there a little bit. So research on personas, where they go, what they care about, issues within, on their minds, um, information sources, related associations, related trade shows. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so much faster and more accurate generally than a Google query where you have to kind of piece it all together yourself. Um, So that's been kind of amazing Um, and, and um, you know, very, very helpful. That's, that's what I've seen.
1: Yeah. seems like you're using it a lot for like product marketing slash strategy, customer research work, voice of customer, how they heard about us sort of like what I might think of as like a, third-party market research report in a different way, right? It's kind of like a replacement to that, or that's how the use case that you're communicating is. Um, a little
0: bit, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm trying to – I'm thinking in demand-gen terms. Who's written books that would be read by this audience? Perhaps those authors might become speakers on some of my activities. Mm-hmm. Um, what are trade shows that I maybe never have heard of because this is a new industry for me? Um Where are they? When are they? And so forth. Yep. So I'm thinking in terms of what to talk about, who should do the talking, where should I do the talking kind of like the whole, you know, communication side. And of course I've got the, you know, demand gen hat on in my, in my brain most of the time.
1: Yeah. Um, I, so in, I think with what your use case and some of the use cases I'm going to talk about, the same thing is true, which is like, This gives you a great head start, but it's not going to complete the job for you. Right. So like the first step for you is like, get all this input. And then at some point you have to go out and talk to customers and validate some of that stuff. Right. But it's going to get you pretty far ahead and accelerate the initial learning cycles that you used to have to like call people research on Google, do surveys, set up meetings, all that type of stuff. Um, I think the like most, the most short term promising thing in marketing is around, uh like operations workflow automation. I think that being able to do this event and then be done with it. And then at the back end, AI is taking it, making a transcription, editing these into social cuts, putting the titles for it, creating a web page for you, dropping the video on the webpage, adding the transcription, writing a blog about it, potentially po- like scheduling and posting them into social. Like all that stuff could happen automated from here that mo- for the most part people do manually right now. You could think of all the other workflows that marketers do repeatedly that could easily be automated downstream to get it most of the way there where a human is just verifying checking proofreading making it better things like that i think that one's really interesting um, i talked about on a episode last week the like how i see like self-reported attribution playing out using uh some level of ai which ChatGPT gpt or something else Um, where you can push in a bunch of data and strings and get back a sentiment analysis based on hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of responses that are starting to speak. Maybe it'll make you a pie chart, it'll be able to categorize it. It could do a write up about it and probably get you a lot of the way there. Where right now marketers use a spreadsheet and look at them and try and create some graphs, right? So I think qualitative sentiment analysis is really interesting. Um, you see a lot of SaaS products adding this in in some ways, like call recording software is one that comes, out, come, like, comes to mind for me because there's a lot of qualitative information that's being ingested and in trying to create some level of sentiment or analysis around it. Um, I think that like um, giving businesses the power to use qualitative insights that they haven't been able to use before because it's just in somebody's head or in a Google document. Now it sort of like feels more professional or more packaged in the way that they are, are used to seeing things, I think it could be a huge leap forward for uh, like using qualitative insights, to drive demand gen, product marketing, or any other type of business strategy.
0: Okay. I I, I don't want to kind of ask a uh, an untoward question, but is this something that you feel your team should do more with or is doing currently? Uh, what would you want to share there?
1: I think that continuing to find ways to adopt AI is smart and the right thing to do. Um, so yes, I feel like we should be continuing to integrate it more. Um, when you think about like sentiment analysis and things like that, there's huge privacy concerns with like sending a bunch of data in there. Maybe it has personal data. We have contracts with customers that don't allow us to do that stuff. So for a lot of reasons, like where we, there's certain use cases where we can't do it for customers right now. We'd use it more for ourselves. Um, but on the operations and work, and it's sort of like a key thing that we usually do is we do it on ourselves, show that it can work, understand it well, and then do things with customers. So, um, yeah. it's something that we're like testing and exploring, but I wouldn't, wouldn't, I wouldn't say we're anywhere close to like having a rollout strategy with customers on this.
0: Sure. Okay. That makes sense. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you very much. Cool. Were there any other like use cases or things that you thought were like going to be big that you've been thinking about?
0: Um, Well, lots of people have written about how it can be assisting in, in as a partner, if you will, to create text, right. Um, Help you think of a different way of wording a problem than you may have come up with. So email cadences, blogs, various articles, those types of things. Um, can, can be helpful getting outlines and so forth. The, uh, so those, those are certainly kind of on par with what you were already discussing. Uh, I think the thing I've discovered that I like is trying to take something that I've a challenge trying to make it be 50 words or less. I don't know how to edit it down and I could throw it into the system and say, look, this is 250 words. Give me a 50 word version. And I may or may not like it, but it gets me there. So it mm-hmm. it, it, it isn't um, precious around the words it uses or keeps, which makes it easy as a collaborator. Sometimes we all have collaborators who check our work, but they can get precious about their words. I know I have, so I assume other people do too. And it's a, it's a kind of whatever you want, kind of um, no pressure zone on that front. So that's mm-hmm. been very helpful. Um, I've not used the image creation capabilities. But I think that could be kind of fun, Um especially to just have some kind of, I've often believed that if you can have a headline and an image that depicts the headline, then you're going to get people's attention. And so often the challenge becomes, well, we can come up with a good headline, but our graphic team doesn't have time to build the image that kind of depicts the, the thought. So this could be a really interesting use Um because I think from the headline and the image, so much gets communicated that stops the scroll if it's being used in that position mm-hmm. in that in that way, um, or just makes it relevant to a person quickly. Right, it, this is in consideration. I should take a look at this. Those are some thoughts.
1: Awesome. Thanks for sharing that.
0: You're welcome.
2: Yeah, I see we've got Dan commenting in the. Thread to Midjourney is a good tool for images. We've got a, a Slack channel internally that we've just got some, you know, people playing around and getting a better understanding of tools and AI and the imagery that they produce out of mid journey that gets dumped in that Slack channel is unbelievable. Um, Dan, I'll add you to the channel. Um, let me shift gears real quick to, um, Chris, I'll add you too. Let me shift gears real quick. We've got a couple of questions from YouTube, so I'll ask on their behalf. Um, one of the questions is, how do you get the sales conversation, the sales conversation to test the message? Um, if you don't yet have a good messaging, Oh, (laughs) I think it's like a chicken before the egg. So the question reads kind of funny, but how do you get the sales conversation to test your message and positioning if you don't yet have good messaging to get the sales conversation? So it's like, which comes first, the chicken or the egg?
1: Back when we didn't have a lot of sales calls coming in and I didn't know what the messaging was, I got insight from mainly inviting who I thought was We're target customers either on two calls and having them on a podcast or doing some other form of market research to extract insights from them where you have the opportunity to say things for the reaction. So oftentimes I like some asking questions, but a lot of times saying something that I think is true and then seeing how a group of CMOs or your target customer actually responds to saying something like that is a great way to get validation. Like when I did this, I got validation. CMOs knew their MQL model wasn't working. They knew they were spending a lot on lead generation, but didn't know the change. They thought that the way that the measurement was working wasn't like, it wasn't allowing them to do other things. They noticed the attribution biases. Um, and those types of insights then allowed me to keep going in the message. And then you start getting sales conversations. You talk about how you help, then you have customers and you look at what's going on with customers and you are able to bring that back. But at the first step, I would, if you don't have people that want to have sales conversations with you, you got two options, do some form of outbound to figure out how to get sales conversations to test or use a different approach that is more market research oriented rather than sales oriented to get those insights first. And then once you have the insights, you can then use them to update the message on the website, hopefully get some sales conversations, and then test them in sales. If you don't have sales conversations, you got to figure out a different way to engage with target customers to understand if the message is working or not. How many people we got rocking on YouTube right now, by the way? Yeah. Got 15,
2: Stephanie Miles, if you want to drop it in. 12,
1: 15 people. YouTube's killing it. We've
2: them. got... Yeah, we've got... Um, At least one more question, maybe one more from YouTube after this too. Um, Chris, what are your thoughts on strategies to become more efficient utilizing sales? So what do you see that's like working or not working either for clients that we're working with now or have worked with in the past around efficiency metrics for utilizing sales? It's a broad question. Yeah,
1: I don't exactly know what utilizing sales means. If you think about utilizing sales as like sales productivity or return on like invested capital in a sales team, then matching the amount of sales headcount to the amount of demand being created by your company is probably the number one thing that you can do. Um, A lot of companies in the boom days, 2020, 2021, 2022, basically over, and this is actually, I scratched that. It wasn't just those. I was worked at companies in 2016, 17, that had overhired on salespeople too. And they just had an imbalance. We got this many salespeople and we have, we have 50 salespeople. We have enough demand to properly, you know, have 20 salespeople. We got 30 salespeople that are somewhere between zero and 67% to plan because there's not enough demand being created. We separated out the territories too much and we spread out the demand. So not everyone has enough to hit their quota. And unlike in 2000, early two thousands, the salesperson's not just going to go out, feed on the street, pound some doors, walk into hospitals, walk into your target account, cold call them and get deals and get customers. There's a demand create the way that demand is created and captured has changed. And so the imbalance in sales resources to demand becomes The number, the number one efficiency driver in then from there, like a huge efficiency driver for companies is especially ones that are relatively mature or growing is that they have a ton of inbound demand coming in. I've been talking about this for five years now. You got a hundred demo, like demo requests, contact sales requests per month. And you have 10,000 MQLs, MQL scores, MQAs, they all get mixed together. So you get 10,100 leads, a hundred of them are actually good. 10,000 of them aren't showing intent. You're chasing them outbound. And because of the way that they're mixed together and the prioritization of volume, the sales team doesn't prioritize the hundred that are actually good. So then their perception of marketing is marketing and sending us a bunch of shitty leads because they're not focused on the ones that are actually good because of this sort of like mixing together or the idea that all MQLs are created equal. So focusing them on the hundred optimizing the amount of meetings they get from those working with the sales leader to optimize what the first call is. If it's an, with an SDR, maybe it should be with an AE or a solutions consultant, like optimizing what the first call does depending on the target customer, the ACV, things like that. And being able to progress that quote unquote, we call it a pipeline source declared intent. Website convor- conversions is one pipeline source events would be another one cold outbound ABM intent data. This one, Declared intent website conversions should be by far your highest converting best sales productivity pipeline source out there because it's literally buyers that are firmographically qualified that come to your website and say, hey, I would like to buy now. You're going to have better win win rates, shorter sales cycles across the board with those than someone you just pick out of Zoom info or a database and cold call. And so, figuring out how to optimize that flow, if you have enough existing volume from it, is probably the uh, the number one way to improve sales productivity. Once you've matched like headcount with overall uh, overall demand, and then in order to like scale back up, you got to figure out new ways to create demand, which I believe is a business level strategy, not a marketing level strategy. You got executives creating demand, customer success team. Hopefully people on the sales team, marketing team, external, you know, your ecosystem and partners. There's a lot of ways that you can create demand that come outside of the marketing team. So I, it's interesting, uh, thought perspective, marketing is well equipped to create demand, especially in certain ways like the product marketing, uh, targeted thing that I talked with Sarah about hosting a podcast. There's definitely things that marketing can do, but when you look at it as a business level goal, You get your CEO involved, other executives posting on LinkedIn, getting your partner ecosystem working. It can be a much more powerful strategy when you think about demand creation outside of just marketing.
2: To David's point, everyone is in marketing, right? (laughs) Um, We got a couple of good questions too that came from, I'm assuming it came off of your LinkedIn post from this morning. This morning on LinkedIn, you were talking about the differences between uh, creating demand versus capturing. And we got a couple of good follow-ups for people wanting to go a bit deeper there. Maybe we can wrap with that for today. Let's do um, it. The first one says, what are some of the best KPIs that you can think of when it comes to measuring demand creation, specifically in B2B? It says, I know that self-reported attribution is one way, but are there any other like leading indicators or KPIs that you'd look at uh, depending on channel?
1: Yes, I would. Um, and so like at a high level here, it's acknowledging that a lot of demand creation activities will not be captured properly by touch point based software attribution that's like the main key th- uh, thing to know here and then so if that's not going to work being able to inject new sources of information that are typically going to bring insights directly from customers not based on the touch points that they did but actually what comes out of their mouth or what comes out of their brain and what they're saying to understand what's actually working and where they spend their time. Um, and so one of them, I think the easiest to implement is self-reported attribution. Put it on your form and you're going to understand what are people say about how they heard about you at the time of conversion or the time that they move in market, which is going to give you some level of insight. Is it perfect? No way. Is it way better than what companies do today? For fucking sure. It is way better than what companies measure today. It gives you so much better data. It helps align companies and is one of the easiest things to implement to help change your marketing and go-to-market strategy, then you might want to be starting to listen to customer calls and have your, you know, sales team be asking that question and then you being able to record it and being able to interpret those insights because you might actually get more detail or something different when a salesperson asks it, that's optional. You can decide to do that. Having a, some level of flow to go out and research to the market how many people know about your company, understand your category. Do they think you're the leader? Do they think someone else is leading it? Do they understand the definition? Do they know about the sub brands that you offer? Do they? How do they end asking them how they heard about you when they're not in a buying cycle, they're just a random person. That's your target customer and understanding the data of how people are like view you and understand you before they're buying. I think it's a hugely critical thing. Surveys are great for this, but you could also use qualitative market research and just bringing in tons of insights about what customers are saying are working. And it's weird because customers, like if the, if the customer heard about you has been listening to your podcast and has been following your CEO on LinkedIn, then when you ask them how they heard about you, whether they're in a buying cycle or not, they're not going to say Google, even though that's what attribution software is going to say. Um, so I think there's a flip that needs to happen where if we're trying to measure demand creation appropriately, we need way more inputs coming directly from customers. I would sit at, I would sit at when we used to, when the company I used to work for it would force us to do trade show booths in like 2014, I'd literally have an iPad and be doing market research surveys with customers in the booth. And I'd be asking questions like this, who are the influences that you listen to? Do you understand these products? What do you buy in this category? Are you a user of it? And I would use all that data to then go and input, you know, where are we going to focus the marketing and what's working for customers right now? So I feel like just having, there's so many different ways to collect what I call first party customer research. And so I would focus there for measuring demand creation. Are there other things that are surrogate indicators? website traffic, number of your target, you know, percentage of target accounts that have been to your website in the past month, overall branded search volume. All of those are nice indicators, but there's a difference between a leading indicator or a positive indicator, like branded search volume and what's actually driving it, right? So there's a difference between, yes, we're moving in the right direction and we know why we're moving in the right direction. And I see them as two separate things.
2: And I think you might have glo- like touched on this a little bit, but the a follow up question to that was also just um, this person is obviously you've piqued their interest. They've been following you and listening for quite a while. They're interested in getting started with creating demand right now. They're running a full demand capture strategy, um, and they're looking to better understand like what data points or insights you gather and how you portray that information to get over the internal hurdles of convincing leadership to get started with this plan?
1: Um, go and like, measure the ROI of every single individual demand capture activity that you're doing. Demonstrate that some of those activities are not driving positive ROI and make a case to move that money to a demand creation activity, which is going to be a small percentage. Like You don't have to move a lot of budget to support demand okay. creation at the beginning. You can use some of the stats that we put together like I mean, like you just, you shouldn't be a hundred percent demand capture, zero percent demand creation. So You can decide based on the organizational organization sort of appetite for it, what the percentage should be. Um, but it's taking not using net new money to fund a demand creation strategy, instead finding waste and then using that to fund it, I think is the right strategy here. Um, additionally putting how did you hear about us on your form before you make any changes to your strategy will give you the data to help you to help you demonstrate to people why you should change the strategy you're not if you put that in there you're not going to get a match to what attribution software says you're going to get more referral some companies get more referrals some companies get more social some people get random podcasts some people get your ceo or other people speaking at events you're gonna get some data that's telling you something that you're doing inadvertently or purposefully is working to create demand already. And then you can use that to say, Hey, these types of customers already said that it was working. They actually became customers. It was worth, you know, 60K ARR. We'd like to invest $15,000 a month to continue to make this work better. So those would be the two things that I would do. Self-reported attribution, analyze the data after 30 to 60 days, and then analyze demand capture channels, identify waste and make a case to move the waste of demand capture into the demand creation activities that you see in self-reported attribution. Right on. Cool people. Normally we go 10, 10 minutes over, but I have stuff to do. So we are going to end on time. Um, great to see you all here. I really, I really like some of the back and forth discussion. Sarah. Thanks for, I think she's not on here anymore, but thanks for bringing your question. I think that helped a lot of people. David, good to have you back. Um, appreciate all of you that attend this, uh, to you know you could spend an hour in a bunch of different ways and i appreciate you spending with us helping us create content helping the bunch of people on here get better and for you to get better as well so um thanks again this will go live on the podcast tomorrow hopefully we'll have some special announcements coming up in the next week or two on how we're going to continue to evolve this event so stay tuned for that thank you everyone hope you have a great rest of your week